Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. It is a Thursday. It's our time to talk a little baseball on this Thursday. We go out to the phone line and bring on our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great. What's going on, Brady? Well, appreciate you being with us. A lot of things I want to get to, actually. The hot stove started cooking a little bit this week. But first, since it is the offseason, I've been getting into uh, – Yellowstone, that show on Paramount about the, the ranch life, etc. I know you spend the off season out west. Are you are you ranching it up out there? What are you doing out west? I, yeah, I I think it was Bruce Bochy who said something on my podcast about yeah, I see a ranch out there. Somebody said something like that. I'm like, yeah, it's not a ranch. We actually live out here in Montana now uh, in Bozeman. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I, it, I'm so happy to be here. But I must say, if I've been uh, texting back and forth with my siblings in Vermont uh, and, and alerting them to the weather, it's supposed to be overnight tonight, minus 6, with a wind chill of minus 25. We've already had 8 inches of snow. And it's still mid-November, for God's sake. <laughs> Does it remind you of Vermont at all? I kind of picture Montana to be like Vermont in spots. Am I right? Uh, it is to some degree. I think the, the formation of the mountains is so different because it's part of the, you know, what I look out um, off my patio is, is part of the, the Rocky Mountain chain. And so whereas in Vermont, you've got the Green Mountains where it feels like they're more rolling. Out here, a lot of jagged edges and a lot, a lot of peaks and um, a lot more flat ground in between those peaks. And Bozeman actually sits in a valley between mountains and uh, between the Bridgers and the Spanish Peaks. Absolutely gorgeous, just like Vermont. Well, Buster, I don't know how many more years we have to do this for us to become good enough friends to where you invite me out to Bozeman to hang out with you. But I am available for the, the trip in the future. <laughs> well, come on out. I don't know. <laughs> Our house is a little bit full right now. I don't know if you could actually stay with us, but you're welcome to come out, and we'll uh, I'll take you out. There's a lot of places where they have craft beers. That's a big thing in this area, and then I think you'd have a you'd have a blast. Well, I certainly would like that. I'm not having as big a blast right now with the Red Sox off season. And let me let me just say this: this is what I kind of came to the conclusion of yesterday. It's really hard to have your feet in both camps, and that's what I think the Red Sox are trying to do here. They're trying to navigate this balance between, okay, we don't want to tear it all the way down, but we want to build up the farm system. We do want to spend, but we don't want to go all in Dave Dombrowski style. If you're going to straddle the fence, what is the best co- the best course of action for this organization? Well, to sign you know, the two veteran uh, position players that are, you know, one is already in free agency in Xander Bogarts and to, um, and to lock up Rafael Devers. Um, because I think if you do that, then you can signal to your fan base, look, we're still trying to win. We know we're not, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays. We know we're not the, the you know, the, some, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so on one hand, we're going to keep our veterans. And on the other hand, we're going to protect our farm system, you know, foster it, try to build it up which is why I, I think they're really trying to communicate. And when Sam Kennedy was quoted this week in an article in the Boston Globe, in which he, they're trying to get across to their fan base, look, we're trying to sign Xander Bogart. We're trying to uh, sign Raphael Devers. The problem is, and you and I have talked about this in recent weeks, is that they've backed themselves in the corners so much um, with the Mookie Betts situation, with the Bogarts offer in the spring, to where they are now, where at some point, they're going to have to sign 
uh, a veteran player to a really uncomfortable contract because short of that, their fan base is going to be unhappy, which is why, you know, when I've talked about the Devers situation, and I mentioned to you that I talked to a former Red Sox player who was laughing about, boy, he's got so much leverage against the Red Sox right now. I think that they need to look at it as, you know what, we're going to have to pay a Xander Bogart's tax. We're going to have to pay a Mookie Betts tax on any Devers contract. So if he's looking for, and I'm pulling this number out of the air, $250 million, uh, they have to get comfortable with the idea that they're going to have to probably pay more than that. Um, you know, they're going to have to pay sticker price retail value because of the leverage that Bogarts and Devers has with them. And I don't know if they're that to that point yet, but they got to understand, they got to make peace with the idea that that's what it's going to take, I think, to try to straddle that fence that you talked about. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here in the Brady Farkas Show, even with us on the first full week of the offseason. So we always appreciate Buster with us here on these Thursdays. Uh, the report came out from Rod Bradford of WEI this week that the team offered Nathan Evaldi a multi-year contract, and, and that's fine. I have nothing wrong with that. I have nothing wrong with Nathan Evaldi. But when I look at the potential of Evaldi and Sale and James Paxton and Garrett Whitlock, who's coming off injury, and Brian Bayo, who's young, there's a whole lot of question marks potentially in that rotation yep. and a whole lot of things that would scare me. I want an ace to stabilize that and to be close to a sure thing. Are you hearing anything about potential interest in Carlos Rodon or Jacob deGrom or Justin Verlander? No, uh, and I don't think they'll do that. Look, if you're, gonna, if you're willing to pay an ace like that, you know, to a Verlander at age 39, to a deGrom at age 34, to Rodon, who's got, as you know, uh, a long history of injury, uh, and he's in the middle of his career, then you also would already have paid Bogart. You would have already paid Devers. And they're not all in. And I think they're going to try to, you know, to, to do the same thing where they're going to try to thread a needle and build potentially, if all things go right, a good, uh, a good rotation. But I think you're right in being skeptical. At this point with James Paxton, who knows, right? Yeah. You don't know if he's going to give them anything, quite frankly, given that the long injury, uh, as you know, as a, as a Mariners fan especially, um, you know, how long that is. Sale, again, who knows? Uh, I think that if you're going to contend in the American League East next year, you do need a sure thing, and, and I don't see that necessarily being on the radar for them. They're going to have to hope that some solution develops from within the organization or potentially they get lucky with a free agent. The bullpen was certainly uh, horrific at times last year. I think they were close to the top of the league in blown saves. They need probably three relievers to make you feel better about the state of that bullpen. And the reliever market has already moved really, really quickly. Edwin Diaz re-signed with New York, and Suarez went back to the Padres, and Nick Martinez went back to the Padres, and we saw the trade yesterday where Toronto got bullpen help. Who, who are the next bullpen dominoes to fall that we should start getting excited about this next tier of relievers? Well, I, I wouldn't get excited about it for the Red Sox necessarily. I think the Red Sox, when it comes to relief help, they're going to wait for the market to come back to them. And I don't know if that's inappropriate, right? I mean, we've seen how relievers' performance is, performance is so volatile, uh, where guys are, are, you know, they're great one year and then they're terrible the next year. And, you know, Araldis Chapman was for a couple of years the most dominant reliever in baseball. This year he didn't even finish the season with the team. Um, I, you know, I've talked to folks with other teams. When they saw what the Astros paid, Rafael Montero, who was terrific for them this year, but he's 34 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
And, and, and he's had a lot of bad seasons, and he had a great season this year, and that's great. But if you go back at the history of, of, of relief uh, contracts, like after the 2016 season, and guys like Tommy Hunter were getting you know $9 million a year, most of those contracts don't turn out. So I, I suspect that given how the Red Sox are doing business, they're trying to, to some degree to, to go on the cheap on some parts of their team, I think they're going to wait for the market to come back to them and maybe hope that out of the, the bargain basement bin, they get a couple of guys who are really effective. And, and that's not going to happen for a while. Like they have to wait for the prices to drop because if you're aggressive now in the relief market, you're paying the Montero Suarez, uh, you know, Edwin Diaz type money versus paying a guy two to $4 million a year. AL East is starting to make some moves. Yankees got Anthony Rizzo back on a multi-year deal earlier this week. Blue Jays made a trade with my Mariners yesterday, acquiring bullpen help but giving up a good bat in Teoscar Hernandez. What do you make of what's happening on the hot stove around the American League? Did my Mariners get a lot better yesterday? Well, they got somewhat better. He's a good hitter. Now, he, as you know, he had a down year last year. He had some injuries, and so I think that this was the case of as his salary ain't through his arbitration years, this is the you know the, the Blue Jays trying to uh, take advantage of his value while it's still relatively high. Uh, on top of that, I do think that this is a precursor to a bigger move for the Blue Jays. And if you're the Red Sox, you're the Yankees, you're the Rays, you're the Orioles, it's a little bit scary. You know, they're going to move George Springer to a corner spot now that they've traded Hernandez. He's going to go from center field to right field. And, you know, we talked about the Yankees in recent years. We've talked about Toronto in recent years as being too right-handed. The full anticipation of those in the market is, is that the Blue Jays are going to go hard after Brandon Nemo, mm-hmm. who is a left-handed hitter for the, you know, the Mets, was a, had a great leadoff season. He, he, you know, is arguably one of the two or three best leadoff hitters in baseball, and he's a left-handed hitter who will help balance that lineup. And that, you know, when we talk about what the Yankees have done so far, they were aggressive on Anthony Rizzo, another left-handed hitter, because what I'm getting back from agents from general managers is, boy, the market on left-handed hitters is percolating. A, because there are not a lot of left-handed hitters, and B, next year we have the rules against shifts going into place. And yep. so there's an expectation among teams that performance for uh, left-handed hitters, whether it's Rizzo, whether it's uh, Brandon Nimmo, whether it's Raphael Devers is going to spike because the, the defensive shifts that have been used against some of these guys will no longer be allowed. That's going to be a big deal, and it's going to be reflected in how uh, teams are going to pay left-handed hitters. Because the feeling is, for example, that Rizzo last year, I think he had 213. The feeling is is that uh, without shifts, it would have been closer to 252. Like, it's going to be a market spike in batting average for left-handed hitters. You talk about lefties. Well, the most prominent righty on the market is Aaron Judge. And there there was a story last night that came out from another publication. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't quite get it. I think I was supposed to gather that maybe there was collusion in the marketplace, but I'm not quite sure. What's going on here? So the headline gets excited. You know, Yankees Mets being investigated by Major League Baseball uh, for, you know, possible collusion. Uh, in October, a reporter for SNY, uh, which is, the, you know, an arm of the New York Mets organization, it basically indicated that, yeah, the expectations, the Mets won't go hard after Aaron Judge, in part because Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, wants to make nice with the Yankees owner, Hal Steinbrenner, 
who supported his uh, purchase of the Mets. Now, if you're the union, you're on the lookout for notes like that. And so what the union did is they reached out to Major League Baseball. They asked them to investigate this, uh, you know, because they obviously, if the Mets aren't involved, it could potentially affect the market, the bidding for Aaron Judge. This is not unusual. It's not without precedent. I've had stories where I've quoted anonymous sources talking about the market value of a player. What Major League Baseball will do after the request by the Player Association is to tell the relevant teams, we want you to save all your emails. We want you to save all your text messages. Investigators are going to go through them. And, and really, in the end, it's like a cop stopping somebody for going 65 miles an hour in a 55 zone, and they say, sir, please slow down. Good luck to you the rest of the day. That in the end, there's not really a lot of penalties. Because let's face it, do we really think the Players Association is going to whack the Yankees or the Mets, two of the highest spending teams? Yeah. No. Uh, and in the end, Aaron Judge is going to get a lot of money, whether it's from the Yankees, and that's what most people believe, or the Mets or some other team. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us every single Thursday. Uh, Buster, we'll get you out of here on this award season this week. Justin Verlander, another Cy Young. Sandy Alcantara, the Marlins, won the NL Cy Young. I'm happy that Julio won the Rookie of the Year. Can you can you uh, put some sense into your uh, baseball writer's brethren, by the way? Scott Service should have been Manager of the Year. He didn't even get the top three. I, I personally, and I'm you know really happy for Terry Francona, uh, you know, he won the American League Manager of the Year. Buck Showalter won National League Manager of the Year. I find it to be the Manager of the Year award generally to be the most ludicrous award ever <laughs> uh, because there's not really an objective analysis. The general formula is what team uh, overcame expectations. And so the Guardians have won the lo- lowest payrolls in baseball. Terry Francona wins effectively uh, in part because he's a manager in one of the weakest divisions in baseball. <laughs> So the expectations aren't high. Brandon Hyde, the Orioles manager, you know, he was the manager of a team that tanked for four years. They increased their win total dramatically. Wonder why? Because they intentionally lost for a lot of years. They jump up to, what was it, 82, 83 wins. And so he gets a lot of support. Uh, I, I find it to be really difficult for writers to determine exactly who's the best manager and who isn't. Um, and, and I think every you see the, the writer sort of flounder and trying to decide who wins this award. So I can understand why you're upset, but I also think if you're a, you know, a fan of the Orioles, a fan of the Guardians, uh, you probably have reason to think your manager could have won it. Buster, appreciate you as always. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving. We are off the air, so we won't talk next week. We will have Patriots-Vikings on the air that night, though. I know you're a Vikings yeah. fan, so enjoy that. Have a great holiday, and we'll talk in two weeks. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks, Brady.